0: You're listening to the Taming Hindrances Podcast. Conversations about self awareness and mental health, as well as a dive into this thing known as spirituality. We talk about everything and anything on the podcast, so come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances Podcast. As always, my name's Phil, I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And, uh, we got another topic for you. This one, uh, not brought to you by the tarot cards. As I talked about last episode, I have, uh, I've stepped back from the tarot cards a bit. I feel like I was, um, I was chasing spirituality as I like to call it. And to stop myself from doing that, I stopped relying on the cards to give me topics and went back to, uh, back to my roots, back to looking at what's going on in the world, what's going on with me, what's going on with the people I have conversations for with and then bringing that into uh, how I go about coming up with a topic cuz the cards were giving me specific ideas to work with and you know everything there was great it was working really well i liked the option of having the cards to kind of give me a little bit of a guidance but again the chasing whole spirituality thing with the topic we're going to talk about today the topic is fear um you know there's a teeter-totter effect there's this very common thing that occurs when people try to make a corrective action they make, make a corrective decision they go way far the other way and then they have to recorrect from that and i like to call it either the roller coaster effect or uh you know the crashing rv effect you know when you're driving an rv you want to make very small corrections Small to the left, small to the right, small to the left, small to the right, you bring it back in. Because if you make really sharp aj- adjustments, you're going to crash the RV. Um, or, you know, with the teeter-totter, that kind of idea, or the roller coaster, like, if you go, if you're trying to balance a teeter-totter and one person kicks off real hard, you're, you're going to be really unbalanced. So, universal law, there's this thing called balance. The universe is always trying to find it. And we as humans are also trying to find it in some way or another. And balance is what gets us to states or points at which we feel comfortable or we find homeostasis. Homeostasis is a balanced uh, place to be for the body. Now, keeping that in mind, balanced is universally unbalanced. Uh, to be in balance, one must also be unbalanced. So the universe uses that idea of uh, the uh, duality logic, the trinity of two sides of the same coin, the measurement of balance, there must also be unbalanced. It does it through asymmetry and asymmetry in the sense of I was chasing spirituality with the tarot deck trying to come up with topics for my discussions or my podcast episodes looks like using what I learned there, but without the cards, right? And so, you know, going through the process of getting things wrong or figuring things out. And that brought up this subject that I've been kind of toying with for a while now, which is fear. Um, And it's not to say that I had, like, I was fearing... You know, like there wasn't any great level of fear there as far as, oh, can I come up with new topics or do I need the cards? No, my fear was very minutely, because um, there's different levels of fear. And, and fear is just the word, the description word we use to cover a lot of different things. We'll get into the definition here shortly. I had this minute fear of, like, well, am I going to overcorrect? That was my biggest fear. Like, I'm always kind of worried about that. Um, a worry is also partly a fear. So I was. In this place where I'm like, all right, well, I don't want to rely on the cards, but I also want to still go in the direction that they were taking me in this, in this feeling out what's going on in society, feeling out what's going on with the people around me, feeling out what's going on with me. There's this act of listening there and to listen to like, you know, yeah, we live in this crazy world right now and there's a lot of crazy crap going on. What do people need to hear? What do we need to talk about? What do we need to, you know, if if the topic of discussion is typically uh, self-awareness and mental health and also spirituality what are the things there that I need to be discussing or should be discussing or in some way relating back to. And oftentimes um, I get into some sticky situations. I, I talk about some some not so uh, easy to talk about subjects. And last episode I did that. Uh, episode 57 was the discourse episode. And I talked about some tough things. I talked about, I brought up some uh, some interesting or I don't know if it, classified interesting but I brought up some tough subjects and in doing so I had a moment before publishing that episode of like do I really you know is that is that really what I want to talk about is that really where I want to go down is that the the you know is that the thing I want to piss people off and get them to pay attention is that a topic I really want to talk about and that's fear right? That's fear. So let's get into the definitions here and I'll get into a little bit how I made the decision to go ahead and publish that episode and also how, again, take the connotation out of things. Fear doesn't always have to be a terrible thing. We need to master our fear or or control it in some ways. So let's get into the definitions here. Number one from Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger uh, to classify to be there. Um, an instance of this emotion, a state marked by this emotion that, you know, those are, um, effects of fear. Second definition is anxious concern. So the first definition was kind of talking about anxiety a little bit. So we have a second definition here is anxious concern. Uh, that's also known as solicitude, uh, profound reverence and awe, especially towards God. I thought that was an interesting one. We'll come back to that. As we all know, I like to bash, um, formal organized religions. So I'm sure I'll be able to use that in some way. Uh, let's see last on here for the nouns is reason for alarm. Also a, um, you know, a, a signaling of danger. We have the verb of fear, um, which is to be afraid of, uh, expect with alarm to have a reverential all of that goes back to that third definition from the nouns to be in reverence of something that's specifically a God of some sort to fear a God to, um, to feel small in the presence of uh, the archaic definitions for the verb fear are frighten and to feel fear in uh, ourselves into oneself. Uh, the intransitive verb is to be afraid or apprehensive. So fear for your life, um, fear to go out. Uh, those are our phobias. Um, those are partly fear-based in the definition sense. So back to number one here. An unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. So fear, the definition there, also covers this thing like anxiety. And I thought it was interesting to step into some of the synonyms here of fear. So we have alarm, dread, horror, terror, uh, fearfulness, panic, trepidation, anxiety, fright, scare. Uh, in the verb side, we have um, to fret or worry, to sweat, to fuss, to trouble, to stew, to bother with. Um, let's step. Let's step one pace to the right. We're 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 gonna try to stay balanced here. So let's take one step to the right and look at. And I'm not talking in like left or right terms. Uh, just you know, we're gonna take a step, pick a fucking direction. Um, you can't say anything nowadays without stepping on a landmine in that sense of like, oh, well, the right or the left or Republicans or Democrats and none of it matters. It's all bullshit. And that's what I'm going to get into uh, specifically here with this idea of fear, because I think there's a piece of fear that a lot of people don't always look at. And it's one of the things you can do to better understand how the outside world is affecting you is to look at what's scaring you. what What is bringing you fear? Now, going back to that first definition. And what's bringing you an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. These are the things that our body was created, uh, or not created to, um, parts of our body were created to, literally that's the only function to do. We have the um, lizard brain, the hippocampus idea of the vagus nervous system connection, it's designed to pick up outside influences that might be trying to kill us. That's our fight or flight states. That's our parasympathetic versus sympathetic nervous system states. Our body is designed like most mammals are to pick up Or most animals, all like reptile, mammal, whatever you want to most things that exist and move and do and have predators or have things that can kill them are designed to experience something along the lines of what the nervous system does to us when we are in a dangerous situation. Um, And this comes in all different forms and and factors and methods and ways. Uh, There's many techniques and concepts and principles that all engage with these things. Just in the walking down to the corner market or getting in the car to go to, you know, the gas station to get some snacks. There's probably thousands of inputs of this thing known as the the vagus nervous system, the, the central nervous system. And, all of our sensory apparatus that are queuing up responses and at some cases elevating those responses into what we classify as fear an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. We might get the tinglyness on the back of the neck we get our, our pili muscles might lock up and that makes our hair stand up. Um, we might just get like a chill, or make uh, like all, of, or uh, if you've ever experienced night sweats or night terrors, uh, where you just kind of you wake up and your body's locked, and you're very aware of what's going on, and it, you know it was just something random that occurred in the house. If you hear a knock or a noise, and you get that lockup position because you you don't have enough information to know what's really going on, the body's designed to recognize these things. If without this response, without the fear response, I can tell you right now we wouldn't exist. We would have been eaten by bigger things, um, by large cats, by, uh, bears, by, uh, wolves hunting packs. You know, if the human system did not have a fear response, you wouldn't exist. No, no humanity would have existed. You know, something would have came along and ate us. That's one of the biggest responses a rabbit has is it's Fear response and then the norepinephrine response that comes after that that allows them to just go froom, gone, just hoppity 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 gone. Um, they're constantly being aware. All animals are doing this because they have predators and they have to be, you know, predator prey. Even predators also have some sort of response structure built into their nervous system to be aware of their surroundings. So, my idea of fear is really awareness of your surroundings. To have the fear response is great. It's, it's a great thing. You know, I like to take the connotation out of things, but sometimes I like to put a different connotation on them and a fear response without it. You probably wouldn't survive very long because you wouldn't know what's dangerous and what's not dangerous intrinsically, just an intuitive idea of like, mm, stove's hot. Shouldn't touch it. Mm, cars coming at me. Shouldn't walk out in front of it. Mm, I feel some sort of buzz in the air. Oh, there's an open electrical current happening near me, be an outlet or a down power line, shouldn't go near that. Like that's the reality of the fear response, in my opinion, is you know an unpleasant, awfully strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. To unpack that a little bit more, what we do in the mind is just a translation of what's happening to the body and also to the spirit. So when the definition here says an unpleasant oft, and often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger, that's happening at the mental state. Remember, all definitions of words, all language is a mental occurrence. The body did not come up with these definitions. The body did not come up with uh, the verbal languages we use in the definitions there. The body does have its own languages, and it also has its own states and you know, different pieces in that regard. So when it comes to fear, the body feels fear way, way before we do. We just gather all that information up and call it fear, as the defined word I'm using. And this goes; um, this is true for many of the topics I've ever discussed. I choose a specific word and break it down, do it, you know, with definition and language and those things at the mental state. The conversations we're having are at the mental translation level. So you need to translate those into your own body. Now, in the martial communities, we have uh, body language. And we get to have a different conversation and you can liken this conversation to the same conversation that you have with someone else's body. If it's in an intimate state or if it's in a family familiar state, um, you know, you have the sensory apparatus for knowing if someone is either familiar to to you or not familiar to you, or if they're a danger to you. You know, if you've ever had someone walk up behind you and you kind of get that feeling of like. Uh, who's this person? And then you calculate your mind as the calculation of your body's just going like somebody behind us, somebody behind us. Hey, there's somebody behind us because that's a, that's a can be a bad thing. The body doesn't know. And when it hits the brain in that sense, it goes, okay, well, where am I? I'm home. Oh, my partner's with me. No one else is here as far as I know of. And so we, we've relaxed into the idea that, and then you get the familiar touch or the familiar scent or some sort of other, Piece of information comes along. Maybe they talk or they say hi, or you know, another piece of information comes along to turn off all of that fear response and be like, aha, it's familiar to me. It's someone I know, uh, it's a loved one, or you know, or it's a friend, you know, embrace for a hug or something. You know, so in the martial community, we have conversation through action, through physical body-body conversation. We call it, uh, in most martial arts, it's called bridging. To bridge one's internals to another person's internals. That's that's the conversation that can be had between two bodies. And it kind of skips the mind. That also occurs at the energetic level when we talk about spirit or the bioelectric field. So we're having conversations and there's other versions of vernacular and language that occur between all the other subjects of body, mind, and spirit. But when we talk about these definitions that I use uh, specifically when we're talking about the word fear here, we're using Merriam Webster's dictionary. We're using a specific defined idea that is a culmination of all of those inputs. So it makes it a little bit complex in that regard that, you know, when we talk about an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger, we're also talking about how that is the definition we're using for the translation of what our spirit and our body are also feeling and translating at their levels. And all of that's hitting the brain, and then we're making rational, hopefully, or logical conclusions and using the information to act accordingly. When it comes to fear, some of that rationality and some of that logic kind of go out the window because we get into a panic state. And the panic state occurs when we don't have enough of that information, and maybe we don't trust something enough. We don't trust the spirit. We don't trust the body. Maybe we don't even trust the mind. And there, are neuroepinephrine, um, of our four major chemicals that happen at the endocrine system. We have, you know, dopamine, serotonin, cortisol, norepinephrine. In a state of panic, norepinephrine and cortisol go through the roof. They go off to the moon. You just rock it up because we need norepinephrine for fight or flight. We don't know what's about to occur. We need to get prepared for that. We need uh, the Nitrous oxide level, we need the blood oxygen level and the nitrous oxide level in the body to increase. NO boosters is something you might hear in the bodybuilding or workout communities or athletic training community. An NO booster is what people take usually in their pre-workout. So you have nitrous oxide increase. That's the precursor to that typically is norepinephrine. Norepinephrine can follow along with that. But we get that adrenaline rush, right? Neuro, uh, adrenaline causes NO boost. It causes nitrous oxide boost. Nitrous oxide is the dilation, so the opening of the vasal uh, activity in the body. So all your capillaries and the vasal and the arteries, everything opens up. and We get more blood flow. With that, we're carrying oxygen-rich blood, so we get ox oxidiza- uh, oxidization, which creates um, can create oxidative stress. But in the in the specific period of time of panic, we're using all that to prepare. The the pupils dilate, the ears start paying as much attention as possible. You'll actually start probably, you'll probably clench down on the jaw a little bit to get the ear canals open as much as possible and widen out the ears as much so they can pick up as much sensory information as possible. You'll get a sensation of blood rushing to the fingers or the toes, um, specifically the hands. So you have touch sensory or it might rush to the area where you just got touched by. Um, These are all the responses that happen at the body level and at the endocrine level and at the uh, neurological. And I'm not doing any of this justice, to be honest. I mean, there's many people out there like uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman, um, or uh, you can look up um, Dr. Rimka. She uh, does a lot of work with uh, psychological uh, and the brain and talks about how, you know, traumas and all these things affect all of these different other aspects of how the body works, specifically to the organs and the you know, digestive and even how we deal with outside influences as far as the body, mind, spirit connection. So she's a great resource to go check out as well. Again, Dr. Rimka, I'll have a link on the archive website for a But all of this other stuff is happening along with what we define here as an unpleasant, often strong emotion. well, Almost anything could bring that on, right? That could be anything from I ate a bad burger to, um, you know, but remember, it's also, it's caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. So, you know, in the bad burger reference there, like, knowing something was, like, way too undercooked or something, like, and you bite into it and you get that sensory of it, like, oh, okay, no, that's not right. And, you know, instantly the brain goes from fear to, ew, gross, um, that's just gross. But uh, originally the state was fear. Like if I eat this, I might get sick. This isn't cooked correctly. You know. So that's a fear response um, by this definition. So let's step into the other uh, definitions here because I want to expand upon this a little bit. We have an anxious concern. Um, that's anxiety, right? So everybody has, I believe everyone has some sort of anxiety state. Um, but And some people suffer from a, a very deep anxiety state. And again, going to Dr. Rimka's stuff, this could come on from just like a childhood trauma to, you know, a slip or a fall. I deal with it in the bodywork world where like somebody falls on their tailbone and they just have anxiety states built into the memory of the muscles in that area that like if their hips move one way or the other, the whole spinal lockup and you'll get all this spinal tension, which then brings on headaches because now they have a vasovascular response in the neck and that causes a headache. And then that headache keeps coming around too much that it becomes a migraine because then the endocrine system brings in a hormonal response and it just cascades from there. Well, that's, um, this, there's another word. So, uh, the second definition there was anxious concern, right? Well, a synonym to that is what's known as, uh, solicitude. The definition of solicitude is the state of being concerned and anxious anxiety, right? That's an anxious state. Um, it's also uh, attentive care and protectiveness. So in the body, we have this thing built in known as the re- protectorate response. The protectorate response is built into you because, fun fact, uh, we're bipedal. And the, specifically, we're bipedal in the sense that the way we developed, uh, I don't know what the story is there anymore, because who knows, It'd be it evolution or created by aliens, I don't really know. I don't think anybody knows anymore. Um, we got more stuff to figure out. There's some questions. Anyway, um, I'm half joking and half not joking. But the body has this thing known as the protective response. The protective response typically occurs due to the startled response. The startled response occurs um, when something like a loud noise goes off near us. Or the startled response is that very first response we get to a fear state. Something occurs and we get startled by it. Um, you can see this in rabbits or small uh, prey animals, when they, you know, their ears lock, their whole body locks up, they get into a tense response moment. That's a startled response. They're getting ready. They've been startled and they're getting ready for action. Uh, we also get this with runners when, you know, runners hit the blocks and the, the starting gun goes off. That's a startled response. A good runner gets out of the blocks quick because they respond to the startled response by just running. Like that's their answer. They're just going to fucking run. Um, so the startle response occurs first, and then if the startle response settles itself, no major harm or foul. Um, typically, the body won't hold on to that type of trauma. If the startled response is not settled, if it goes into a protector response, it becomes memory to the body. So uh, a reoccurring startle response, such as uh, when we talk about abuse, right? That would be a startled response. Somebody raises their hand towards a child, or towards you, or if you were in an abusive relationship, uh, or in my case, when you know I was in a um, sexually, I was sexually abused as a child. So, like, it took a really long time for me not to have a startled response to the idea of intimate contact, just intimate contact. Someone touches me intimately. Someone wants to kiss me, or you know anything like that. And that eventually progressed for a while into my fear of um, just general contact with others that was outside of professional realm. Now I was, a am a body worker. I, I work on people's bodies and I work, I, you know, used to do martial arts. So when it was in a professional setting, I, you I was in control of, I did okay with it. And that helped me eventually get into being okay with non-professional settings. But for a while, it was really weird for me to like, let someone hug me or let someone touch me or like people who were just touchy in general. It was very much, uh, I backed away from that because I had this over responded uh startle response to being intimately touched because that to me equaled, you know, the abuse that I went through as a child. Um, and led to like something like, I, I, I don't really want to be involved with that. Right. Uh, for a small portion of my life, there was some, you know, ED erectile dysfunction issues with that as well, because even thinking about getting into a intimate situation, didn't feel right to me because I had what was known as a protector response. And the protector response was when the startle response occurred so often and was so ingrained into me physically that the mind didn't have any say over it. In fact, what was occurring was uh, you actually have more memory cells in the rest of your body than you do in your mind um, combined. So there's more combined memory cells in the body than we actually do have in the um, brain and so that's where we get the statement from uh, muscles have memory. And one of the things that muscles are really good at remembering is trauma and traumatic issues because we need that to survive. So I can't be mad at my body for having held on to that um, just because of the information I have now. I understand why people do get very frustrated with their bodies over these things. So when we have a protector response, that's when the body locks up and we're bipedal. So typically what happens in a protector response um, is we get We lock up the front. We call it the superficial front line. It's the front fascial line of the body. And we lock that up as hard as we can. What occurs there is the intercostal muscles, the little muscles in between your rib cage, they shrink as much as possible to bring the ribs together. So you actually want to get the bones as close as possible because that creates our suit of armor. Our ribs are our armor. The second thing that also does is by the tension of the intercostal muscles, they pull tension on the fascial lines of the deep core line and bring the organs up against the rib cage wall so that they're tucked up and protected um, and can deal with impact or deal with anything that might be coming at them. And then second to that we get the sternal line uh and into the abdominal we get a lockdown effect so we want to pull ourselves forward and actually if we let this go too far uh it would pull us right into what's known as the uh some people see as child pose but it's also the um oh blanking on the word here uh curling up into the fetal position that's that would be the that that would be like the full response if you let the fascial system and the musculoskeletal system go right into a protectorate response, you would actually just curl up into the fetal position. Um, that's to protect the front organs. When that occurs, in my bodywork side of things, uh, then the back has to work three, four times, five times as hard to get you back upright. You know, and with this memory function if you're in a bunch of startled responses and then that becomes a memorized protectorate response and you're stuck in this protectorate response, you're going to have all sorts of issues. You're going to have digestive issues. You're going to have breathing issues. You're going to have, um, lower back and upper you know, neck issues because you can't pull yourself upright you're going to have imbalance to the hips that's going to fire down through the hamstrings uh, and follow that superficial back line down to the ground because you can't do what's known as grounding or rooting and then you're going to get a tight soleus and that soleus is going to tighten up the gastroc and, and actually eventually rely on the gastroc to do its uh, work the gastroc and the soleus are the muscles of the calf muscle and then from there the Achilles tendon is going to get tight because now the gastroc and the soleus are tight and they're both doing the same action which is trying to flex the knee but by doing that, they have to actually appropriate set the, um, um, uh, plantar flex the foot and that makes the Achilles tendon tight. And then from there, the f- uh, fascial of the foot. So you might get plantar fasciitis because you're in a protector response. This is how interconnected all of these things are. And so when we talk about fear, we have the body's fear response. We have the mind's fear response. And then there's a spiritual fear response that I haven't even gotten into yet. But, um, all of these things are part of anxiety, right? So just being anxious, just being anxious about something is enough to cause a stressor to the body, to cause a startle response or a protectorate response and make all sorts of things go all wonky. And the more we do that and the more often we do that and the, um, the greater the, what's the word I want to use on this one? I don't want to say severity, but I guess severity would work. Intensity, we'll use intensity instead of severity the greater the intensity of these uh, responses on a regular basis the longer we're going to hold on to them and then eventually gets to the point where we don't let go of them and they sit and now we have what i call just fear in the body your body has fear stuck in it has some sort of anxious response response stuck in the memory of the body and a lot of my job is coming around and working on the body to help release those things uh, and that can be done in many different ways. Body work's not just the only way. You can get chiropractic, you can get acupuncture, uh, you can get psychological, or you know, to go through counseling. Um, there's supplementation that can help with this. There's all sorts of other, you know, areas to bring in to help with these responses. But they are a buildup of a fear response, a unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation, or awareness, or danger, and anxious concern, also known as solicitude um a reason for alarm which is called danger um all of those things bring on these responses in the body so it's really important to kind of understand fear right and how we often look at fear as like oh i'm not afraid well you better fucking be uh cuz it's a good response it keeps us safe if we didn't have that protector response, we wouldn't be able to defend the organs. And then anytime, you know, in um, pre-modern warfare, and even in current modern warfare, uh, if you took impact, you know, let's, I'll use it in the martial sense. You know, if your body doesn't experience fear or know how to use that cautionary tale of like, always flinch, always flinch. I, I can't stand when people are like, oh, I don't flinch. Good, that means I hit you in the face. People who are like trying to train against their flinch response have no idea what they're doing. I'm going to tell you that right now. If somebody's like, oh, yeah, I'm a badass, I do flinch, you, you could try to throw a punch in my face. That just means they're going to let you hit them in the face. If anyone ever does that, I give you full permission. Not hard, don't try to break their nose or give them a black eye, but tap them in the face, you know, maybe slap them in the face because they're an idiot, in my personal opinion. Coming from an instructor of martial arts and self defense, is that response of flinching is the quick twitch response of the body going, hey, 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 you're about to get hit. Oh, you're not doing anything about it. No, I'm going to get us out of the way. It's a great response. It's a fear response. And we need fear to survive. If if a rabbit didn't have fear or that type of response, the norepinephrine drive, cortisol levels, pay attention to everything, let serotonin rise slightly to help balance things out so I can make logical, informed decisions, And then as I'm disappearing off into the woods and the wolf is getting left behind, I might give myself just a little bit of a dopamine reaction to be like, yes, this was a great thing. I'm running away and I got away that if we didn't have that, we, we, well, we wouldn't exist. And no animal who didn't have that wouldn't exist. I'm sure throughout the history of the earth, there were things that had some sort of evolutionary function or didn't have that or had their badass moment of I'm not going to flinch and they died. That's what happened. They went extinct because they couldn't protect themselves. So, like I was trying to bring up with that example of we have a fear response or an anxiety response, something, some outside influence that creates this unpleasant, strong emotion of anticipation or awareness of danger, and that gets built into a startled response, and then that startled response becomes a protector response. See how the wording there changed to the verbiage that came into the the states. So we have a fear state or anxiety state that brings on a um, Startled response. Startled. Well, I don't know if I really want to be startled, but at least I'm aware. I'm, 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 you know, paying attention, and then becomes a protectorate response. So we flip that whole idea of being startled into the body doing its job wonderfully. The body goes, all right, lock up the intercostals, create the uh, rib cage into a set of armor, lock down the erector uh, spinae group and the multifidi of the spine. Leave the multifidum, the. Um, muscle that connects the multifidae, the little muscles in between the spine leave that slightly relaxed because the erector group is doing its job so the multifidum can stay so i can feel different in you know particular movements and pieces there but lock down that erector group because i need to protect the spine as well Bring the base of the neck down, get the chin towards the chest, lock up the shoulders above, bring the traps in to protect the cervical spine, put the awareness in the center point, you know, get the eyes to function and not, you know, focus on that, but open up the hearing, lock the jaw in, get the uh, hearing canal open as much as possible so we can bring in extra outside information. Produce some norepinephrine so we can get ready for action if we need to run or if we need to fight. Fight or flight state. Uh, also bring up the cortisol levels. This is a stressful situation. We want to know that this is not good. We want to memorize this is not a situation we want to be in. So we should do things that keep us out of that situation. Bring our oh, heightened awareness state into factor there. Um, you know, I can go on and on, but the body gets into that state. That's called a ready state. That's called it's a, a protector response. It's a good. Response Now, again, if it overcorrects and goes into a full-on protective response and curls up into the fetal position, uh, that could not be great. So, you know, keeping those things in check, the problem occurs when we don't let go. We don't let go of the fear in the end. And thus, we're actually being fearful of fear. That's when things change a bit. That's when things that's when things can go kind of bad, kind of wrong, kind of damaging to the body, the mind, and also probably the spirit as well. So before I get too far down into how we you know, can correct for some of these things, I'd like to go over this third option for definition here, because I think it's kind of important um, on the spiritual side of it. One of the fear definitions is profound reverence and awe, especially towards God or God's. This is the spiritual awareness side of fear. On the spiritual side, you know, keeping in mind the bioelectric field, keeping in mind um, our vagus nervous system's ability to pick up light and frequency, uh, the central nervous system's ability to do that, how all of our sensory apparati, from sight to smell to taste to hearing uh, to touch, all of them are just picking up some sort of frequency of light or hertzian frequency-based idea of a vibrational state, When one has a profound reverence and awe, especially toward a god or gods, this is a state of being aware that something is far more powerful than you are. You can have this same state. I I don't know if many people have ever experienced this, but if anyone's ever been around massive voltages, I mean like high, high voltages of electricity that are in non- There are non-contained states or non-insulated states would be a better way to put that. Uh, If you've ever been around high high voltage equipment, and even if it is grounded and also insulated, there's still just this feeling. I liken this to the state of this profound reverence uh, to a god or gods. It's this understanding that this thing, this piece of machinery or whatever this, or maybe it's a giant, you know, high power line cable line that is open and, uh, you know, or uh, even just like an open power line can also kind of give you this or a transformer. Um, It's this feeling you get, you might almost like you get a little lightheaded or everybody's explained to me a little bit differently, but. It's this feeling of, like, holy shit, that's a lot of power or a lot of something. It's a lot more than I am, that's for sure. And it's very, very dangerous because I am not nearly as powerful as that, nor can I do anything against it for it. I I can't interact with this in any way that, you know, I can get away with. It's either going to kill me or I won't even be able to kick—like, that's the kind of feeling that occurs. Um, and I call that the, that's more of the profound reverence and all, especially towards God, as far as a fear state there. There's, I also I'm probably pissing some people off with this, but I'm kind of okay with it at this point. There's also that state when it comes to like someone telling you not to do something, but you really want to do it. Right. So like, even though you're allowing like a high voltage situation, you're kind of like, I kind of want to like, you get It's just like this in like, curiosity occurs. That's the all state that's to be in all of something or to, you know, it's just so immensely not understood by you or your body, but also at the state of like, no, I totally understand that it's more powerful or dangerous or something along those lines, but you want to engage with it. You know, like don't push the button, but the button's right in front of you. And the button is just a high power voltage line that as soon as you connect it, all of that voltage is going to go through your body. But some part of us kind of goes like, Hmm, you know, curiosity, what's, what happens, you know, that's the all state that's to be in all of it, to be in reverence. So on the spiritual side of it, let's talk about that for a little while uh, or a little bit here. This is the awareness of the complexity of the macrocosm of just how small we really are. And this is a state that constantly is crushing us with fear, an a unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. We know that there's this thing like the sun out there, right? And what we don't always engage with is the idea of just how ginormous it is. The sun is massive. Absolutely. And not only is it massive, but it has this magnitude. And it is just crazy. It's so ridiculous that the sun is hurtling, and I mean hurtling through space and time uh, at thousands of miles. I think it's thousands of miles per second. I'll have to, th- I'll have to figure that out. So I have an exact number I can reference. I'll have to get some sticky notes or something. But uh, it's moving super fast, right? It's just super fast. But at the same time, it's able, It's due to its magnitude, to be drawing planets. Planets. Not just us little Earth or little Mars Jupiter, Venus, dragging them behind us in space and time. We're in a heliocentric orbit, which means we're trailing behind. We're almost like a comet tail behind the sun as it moves through time and space. The magnitude of that and the power of that is crazy. This is the argument to be made that a lot of original worship in human history was worship of the sun. Uh, it brought about light. It brought about crops. It brought about um, life-giving energy. It, it, you know, when it went away, it got cold. And when it came back, it warmed up again. So it brought heat, and which is a necessity of life, uh, specifically for humans, because we can't survive without technology known as fire, shelter, uh, food, and also um, clothing, unless we're on the very small band of the equator, which there's not a lot of livable space there. So, you know, Why wouldn't an educated, and I'm not talking uneducated, why wouldn't an educated populace worship something like the sun? We take the sun for granted. Without the sun, we don't exist. We don't live here. With the lack of sun that we get currently, we have plenty of people in in modern society that are very vitamin D deficient. Because it's the only way we get vitamin D. The only way we get one of the most important things in the body is from taking the uh, radiation from the sun and using the melanin in the body to turn it into this thing known as vitamin D and then storing that in the subcutaneous fat and also uh, in some of the bone marrow to produce something known as provitamin D hormone. Uh, for those of you who have, haven't heard me say it on the podcast before, vitamin D is yes, a vitamin. It's a vitamin. It's a it's a vitamin we need. And there's a couple different versions of it. There's D2 calciferol, which is typical what you find in vegetables, and then there's the D3 we create through our skin, uh, through the absorption of the solar rays. But big but here, we don't produce it in the body without some sort of outside influence, and it's also a hormone. It's actually, one of the most important horm- hormones in the body. Uh, so, as a pro hormone, vitamin D controls somewhere from 3,500 to 4,000 processes, uh, a lot of which have to do with our immune response and general uh, control over what's known as um, the vitamin B uses of carboxylation, methylation, and all of the different ways we. we tell something to turn something else into something else so that we can use it because we're lacking it and that's what that's what vitamin d is it does as a pro hormone uh so without it no we would not exist and without it yes we will die and wither away um so you know if you just lock yourself in a dark room you're going to wither away and you're going to get sick and you're going to feel you know your muscles are going to degenerate and yeah that that's unless you're supplementing vitamin D or have some other sort of outside influence to make that. So uh, I, I say this very specifically, the educated populaces of ancient us were smart in what they did. They worshiped the sun. It was the most important thing to survival without it. We die. We don't exist. The plants don't exist. Food sources don't exist. Animals don't exist. Nothing exists without this interaction of the Earth's uh, magnetosphere or the atmosphere with the sun. And then, so in the same regard there, you know, we have this weird thing where we have this stratosphere and we have the atmosphere of the Earth and the, and the magnetic sphere that surrounds it because it has magnitude and it's constantly passing through the dielectric plane and some rotational function that it creates this idea because that's how electricity or or magnetics get, you know, defined into a hertzian frequency state or light based state so uh it also in my particular opinion has what's known as a plasma core which allows it to take in outside background radiation and turn it into mass that is one of the most amazing things a planet can do and does uh not a solid iron core a plasma core um which again traps outside radiation and turns it into um whatever it needs um so, trying to stay off that soapbox for a second here. Um, that's an educated populace would be like, this is the greatest thing ever, and it's amazing, and we should worship it and we should reverence it. And thus, we go back here to the third uh, definition. I'm going to take out the word God, and we're just going to put the sun there. Profound reverence and all, especially towards something like the sun. Something so profoundly necessary for life and action and, and being that we would be kind of fearful about it all the time and thus be in an anxious state because like, well, if the sun goes out, if, uh, if you know, if, if water stopped existing, if uh, shelter stopped, exi- you know, so you can have these anxious states constantly. Now, some of those are really good because they're a survival trait. It is a survival trait to have fear. To be aware, to be paying attention, to take in outside information and be using it to survive, to, to act accordingly. In the modern world, we become very fearful of things that I'm not going to put in connotation here. Some people will be like, oh, it's stupid to be fearful of this. No, 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 no. We just have the signaling mixed up, in my personal opinion, because we don't have control over our fear states. So that's the one thing I haven't really talked about here. Uh, pardon me as I take a sip of coffee. So we haven't really talked about what to do about fear, right? So I talk about self awareness, I talk about mental health, I talk about spirituality. Well, what's this thing called fear, Phil? And how do I how do I better control it or use it? This is what the Stoics tried to practice. This is what um, meditation is uh, part of. You know, using to understand is to get control of these responses. And remember the synonyms of fear here. I'll go over them again here. Uh, Alarm, dread, horror, terror, trepidation, scare, fright, panic, anxiety, fearfulness, alarm, verbs, bother, stew, trouble, worry, sweat, fuss, stress, fret. I think I already said that one, but uh, all of those things are part of fear. So they're they're synonyms of fear where they're part of the fear response. So in regards to self-awareness and mental health, understanding the function of fear, I believe it to be the first part, which is what I tried to spend the last 45 minutes explaining. Fear is a good thing. It's good to be fearful. It's good to be paying attention to the things that could kill us or kill our loved ones. Or there is balance that is necessary. So like I was talking about how I was, you know, I was focused on the tarot cards and I thought I'd step back from that. You can't go the complete and opposite direction, not be fearful of anything. That's my analogy when I talk about um the people in the you know the bravado community or the the you know poor martial arts community of like, "Oh, I don't flinch that's stupid that that doesn't make any sense. There's no logical reason to want to have that to happen. You want a flinch response. You want to control what happens after it though. That's they want to eliminate the thing that's keeping them from getting hit in the face. What you really want to eliminate is that reaction being the last step in the process. I'm just going to flinch. That's that doesn't work really well. Um that, that response is a poor response to just flinch and then that and lock up. That, that's not going to go well. So really you want to have a fear response, you want to have a flinch response, but then you want to control what happens after that and that's typically where the point at which anxiety sets in a little too much and we have anxious states and we get this start of response that becomes a protective response and sometimes we can't control the outside influences um, I was far too young and far too unaware of the world or understanding of you know sex and sexuality to understand that I was being sexually abused I just knew that there was some sort of abuse happening here and I wasn't really okay with it and, but I didn't understand really what was going on um, so Part of getting control of my fear response there was to understand one, what the fear response was, is, and it is necessary. I don't want to be touched by someone who is trying to cause me harm or do something that I didn't want them to be doing to me, right? That was the part that I was getting mixed up. I was considering all intimate responses to be part of that response. Like, no, 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 this isn't okay. In fact, what I needed to rearrange there and rewire was, oh, control, right? control of the situation and that's where you know in the self-awareness and mental health state it's where's the control structure of fear we want to have a startled response we want to have a twitch response we want to have that you know reaction of like no no no, I don't want to get hit in the face but what happens after that is the control of that response the initial response is in my perspective is nearly always a good thing right yeah we can overreact that's fine But underreaction usually leads to something bad happening, either, uh, you know, getting punched in the face, getting hit by a car. Um, The overreaction can also have poor, uh, poor outcomes. But, you know, so I guess I should say in that sense of like, we want the initial reaction. We don't want, we want a balanced initial reaction. We want whatever, you know, little reaction we're going to have and then control after that part. And to do that, we have to be aware of the state that we got into and that's called a fear response state. And so the fear response is good and bad. If we let it go too far, it's bad. If we let it, if we initially have it, it's good. So we wanna stay in that balanced state and not allow the anxiety, not allow the anxious pieces to set in. And it's really, it's not easy, it's tough. That's, you know, someone who suffers from anxiety is probably like right now, like, dude, like, yeah, this is what I go through all the time and it fucking sucks. And like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like controlling those States is a really tough thing to do specifically for an over anxious person. But first step again is to understand that the fear state was the right state. It's, it's hard to wrap the logic around it when you're in these anxiety States, but like being anxious was the right answer. Allowing that to cascade into a spiral, um, That was not being in control. So it's, in my personal opinion, not the best idea to try to control the fear state. That's not going to happen. And to be honest, it's a bad idea to let it happen, to eliminate the anxious response. To control the anxious response is better. And to start with that, you can start with, oh, I'm in an anxious response. That's okay. It's okay to be anxious. It's okay to have anxiety. It's okay to, you know, those are all okay things. I don't know why in the Western medical system we're like just trying to give everybody Prozac and be like, just be mellow, bro. Fuck no. Don't just be mellow. Become mellow. But have the anxious response. It's okay to be anxious about something. It's totally okay to be ang- have anxiety. It's okay to be fearful of something. It's okay to experience fear. Not experiencing fear means uh, you're probably going to have something bad happen to you. the The thing that survives in the animal kingdom is the thing that has a fear response and gets away. That's the, if you get two bunnies and a wolf, and the wolf. Or not, I, I keep harping on bunnies and wolves. Maybe people like don't want to hear about bunnies dying, but yeah, it doesn't. None of anything I'm going to use is going to be a cute animal. Uh, so let's use a gazelle, right? If you have lions and gazelles, the gazelles that get away are the gazelles that had a fear response and were like, oh no, lions run. And they ran. The lion who doesn't eat is the lion that goes, oh, I'm going to get kicked in the face by a gazelle. Don't try to eat it. D- nope. The lion who also dies in the process of hunting something is the lion that doesn't go, oh, the lion that goes, oh, screw this water buffalo. It can't hurt me. That's the one that's going to get trampled on by water buffaloes. Like, so on both sides of the hunter and the prey, there's a fear response. This fear response makes us really good at making logical, aware decisions. We just often let it cascade too quickly. So the anxious response, the fear response, awesome. Be more fearful. Be more aware of things that... Could cause you, um, causes anticipation or things that will put you in danger. Be more aware of things that will put you in danger. That is to be more fearful. Again, first definition, an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Be aware of danger, have the emotional response, understand it though. Understand that like, oh, I really just don't like being in crowds. How can I adjust to that so it won't – maybe it is just like, I'm not going to go to this party. I'm not going to go – I don't want to go to a party. I'd rather, like, get a cup of coffee with some close friends. Like, that's how you can use it in the – so we have the mental health side of things, which is to understand that a fear response is a good thing. To be anxious is okay. To have anxiety is not the end of the world. You're. It's not – you know, like – eliminating is not the answer. Like, yes, you're going to have these things. It's going to always occur. It should occur. It's what's helping keep you alive by being aware of dangers, but maybe we need to market down the dangers that we're being scared of. Or like, you know, maybe there's some irrational fears or maybe there's a trauma that's causing this and causing the startle response, but it became a protector response, which is now a memorized function of the body. You know, so maybe we can unpack those things and get better to a maybe not being in an anxious state all the time or on the other side of it, you know, maybe we can like go into the idea of like, okay, am I having too strong of a reaction? Am I having too little of a reaction? And, you know, play the balance game there. Like, okay, like maybe you understand now that anxiety, fine, fear, fine. But, maybe I'm just having too strong of a reaction and I need to kind of figure out what's causing that. And then we can bring that into the, the mental take it from the mental health into the self-awareness state of like, Oh, maybe I just won't put myself in positions where that I can allow that to happen. Or maybe I'll do it less frequently. Uh, One thing that happened with me recently is I had to go to two events that were a lot of people. And I don't do well in large crowds. And often um, I turn into an ambivert, which is, uh, well, I turn into an extrovert because I'm an ambivert, which means I would much rather prefer to be an introvert and be alone and be in my own space and in control of my surroundings and know what's going on, maybe just a few people here or there, small groups. Putting me in a large group of people, I create a large bubble around me as quick as possible. And if I have to get engaged with the situation, I become an extrovert. Which means people pay attention to me because when people pay attention to me, I know where their attention is. I know what they're doing. I know where they're looking, why they're looking at me. And I I can engage with them and I can keep them on some functional area of my center line. And I also know where they are and know how to control them slightly in the sense of like where I move and then where their, you know, awareness moves and visual cortex. I become an extrovert to control the situation. If I can hide on the sidelines or hide in the peripheral or, you know, slowly slip away, I often do. When I can't do those things, I'm very good at being in control of the situation. I'm kind of an asshole that way. Uh, sometimes I take a little too, too much control of the situation and I don't allow it to be more organic. Or And I do this as a functional feared response. I don't want to be in a large group. I don't trust everyone. I don't know what's going to happen. There's too many variables. I want to know where all the exits are. I want to know who's carrying what, why they're carrying it, how intoxicated they are, um, you know, what their previous qualms with me might be or not be, or some, what are their previous qualms with someone else? Like, I want a balanced homeostatic state. I don't want all of these extra variables to have to deal with. And if I can't leave, then I have to engage with them. And if I'm going to engage, I go to my Marshall situation of, I'm going to take control of the situation. I'm going to impose my thought, my reality upon the situation so that it can't be done to me. That's how I deal with situations. And recently I had to be in one of these situations and it was a very nice, it was a wonderful celebration, uh, and it was great. It was great. Everybody had a good time. It was great. Right. I was just a little uncomfortable because I had to be in a state of like readiness and like, and so I turned to an extrovert. I dance, I talk, I go around, I, you know, I crack jokes and I engage with people. And then like, as soon as I'm getting too overwhelmed, I hide where I, you know, and I escape. And then I, and then I'm like, okay, now I got, now I got to go back. And I'm playing this balance game of like, okay, go engage. All right. Now disengage. And it's a fight for me be honest the way i treat it is like i i treat it like a combat situation i treat it like all right i'm gonna engage and i'm gonna disengage and i'm gonna lock i'm gonna hold uh now i'm gonna take a superior position i'm gonna give up that superior position to take a new superior position later on it's this constant mental game like that i also had another situation very shortly after that where the similar thing it was a party great time people having a great time great celebration everybody's awesome um But I, there was also a lot of new people for me. So like that was like a whole thing, and again I did the same thing. Like I engage, and like everybody's like, "Wow, man! Like, are you sure you're an introvert?" And I'm like, "I am," because you don't understand what's going on here. Not it's no fault of their own. I've never really talked about it. I I don't allow it to be kind of seen because that would take a weakness, and you never give a weakness. Because if you give a weakness, you better be giving a weakness to take a superior. Again, all the engagement terms and everything that happens in my head, and then the one thing no one ever sees, or I should say one or two people in the world have ever seen is what happens afterwards. My anxiety builds and builds and builds that the reason I'm fearful of the engagement in the beginning of being in a social interaction with a large group of people, or even just a long social interaction is because I know what it's going to do to me afterwards. After these two soirees or parties, uh, celebrations, I didn't sleep. Uh, I usually get one or two hours of sleep maybe. Um, I get very drained, very tired. Uh, I just feel very – I get into like a depressive state that used to spiral out of control because I didn't understand what was going on. So, yes, I am fearful of, I'm wary of large groups and social situations And so I try to limit the amount of them I do because of the aftermath. The aftermath is typically my brain running through every conversation, everything that was said, every interaction, even the ones that I wasn't there for or was just paying attention to or heard about every line. I break it all down. I, I try to put it all back together. I create this weird web map and like all of these reference points. And like, then I get into a memorization thing of like, did I talk to someone in a professional setting and maybe they'll come see me at my job. And then I'll need to know like what they told me when they said, you know, cause I expect to be on my game. Like I treat myself at a high level. I want to activate at a high level. So if I have a conversation with somebody at a party, that I got invited to and I was interacting with someone and I gave them a business card and they told me about their frozen shoulder or they talked about this or their hip and like, or, and then also like, Oh, they talked about their family and like, Oh, they're, you know, this background. I want to, I want to have that queued up and ready when they come to see me at my job because I'm a professional that way. And I like to, Bring those things in. I, I like to make them comfortable. I like you know to have that stuff ready to go so that we can engage and we can have a good rapport so that they can trust me so that I can help them because I need them to trust me to help them. That's that's part of my job, a good deal of my job, or any you know uh, anyone doing any kind of therapy or therapeutic practice. A lot of the job is getting the body, mind, and spirit of the other person to trust you enough to help them. They did the hard part first. They decided they needed help and they were going to seek outside help to do that. That's a fearful state right there. It's a very scary thing to do. So it's my job to activate at a high enough level that I can build a trust and a rapport with them as quickly as possible so that I can get them the results they're looking for. And that requires their body, mind, and spirit to trust my body, mind, and spirit to help them to be there to help them and to do that, I need to pay attention at that party, you know, what they told me and, and all the other extra things. So that even if I do forget a little bit of it, I can at least have the reference point to ask. And so my mind goes through these fucking acrobatics of, what did that person talk about? What did that person say? What was their what was their reaction? To, even if it's a nonverbal thing, like, okay, this person said that and then I was paying attention to this person over here, what was their physical cues and reactions? And then I I do that on every level. I do it at the body level, the mind level, and the spirit level. I also do it at the combination of the body and mind, which is heart. And I do it at the combination level of the spirit and uh, mind, which is soul level. I do it at every level. I, I execute the understanding of like what happened, what occurred. And I run through it over and over and over and over and over again because repetition is the mother of all skill and it also helps with memory function. So I just repeat it over and so I don't sleep. And then I try to distract myself and I can't distract myself. So I go back to it and I dive into it and then yeah, I take a break. And so I don't sleep the next day. Usually I don't sleep that night. And I, I probably, I might not sleep very well the next night I've gotten better at that. Uh, thanks. Cliff High's peer pure sleep. Um, I've also, you know, I, I get just very drained, not only because I didn't sleep, but because I had just had to be, I'm very engaged in these parties, trying to pay attention, trying to memorize all these things that are happening and, I have a little bit of a photographic memory in that sense, but also I just have a memory. I just have a really good memory that I use. Um, but at the same time, I'm in my, my personal bubble inside of, what no one sees, because I'm putting on this extroverted face, this mask, no one sees the internal dialogue and conversation of like, all right, center line there, move there, exit there. Um, is that person, okay, is that, uh, is that little kid about to trip over? The, like I'm watching everything paying attention to everything all the time while also paying attention to my position in that space and always being in a ready state of like, I am the one usually qualified to, to produce medical care if something bad goes or happens or goes wrong. Like I just am prepared for those things. Uh, I'm also the one that will typically like respond to like, you know, cleaning something up or, you know, I'm just a service minded individual. So I'm always paying attention to these factors and functions and, Doing and it's a lot for me to try to let go of all that, so I'm really fearful of being in groups or parties or going to events because I know what it's going to do to me. It's not fun, I don't like it. (laughs) I don't like the recovery that comes from just going to an event. It's just, it's not, it's typically the recovery is typically not worth the momentary gain of the function. So, I'm very choosy about the functions I do go to. Uh, so it's a huge statement if I show up and I, I turn it on, like I know what that's going to do to me. So when I do that, a lot of people have no idea, like this is me honoring the situation uh, because I know what's about to happen to me. I know the next three days of my life are going to be kind of shitty and I could spiral out of control back in the days. Now I'm, I'm much more aware and in control of it, but like back then, back when in my twenties, oh, spiral, just a, a simple intimate reaction, uh, intimate uh, situation with someone, and I don't even mean like a sexual intimacy, just like someone told me something like that was a secret, or like told me something in confidence, or needed to talk to me about something, or like came to me for um, advice on something, could spiral into 10, 12, 14 days of me running that conversation over and over, grinding it against the stone over and over again, adding alcohol or drugs to get, to just get out of that mindset, to get away from that, just constant crushing, wanting to like, okay, like, what did we, did I say the right thing? Did I not? This is my anxiety response there. Becoming better aware of it allowed me to take better control of it. And that's a lot of what self-awareness is all about. That's a lot about mental state is all about, uh, mental health is all about. And so, you know, being aware and then also acting with that awareness, acting with the understanding that, no, fear is a good response. It's good for me to be fearful of going to these, you know, big soirees and parties and stuff because I know what it's going to do to me afterwards. So how can I, you know, better adjust for it? So I, I've i adjusted enough now. that It's typically I just don't get a lot of sleep that night. I'm tired the next day. I'm drained. And I know. Okay. Get through the workday. My, client, my clients are all owed that every time I get through my workday. And then take the day off. Of, oh, I'm going to work out or something like that, or do a light workout just to get that dopamine response, have a decent meal and try to get to bed early. You know, don't stay up late. Don't do, you know, don't do anything else. It's going to be like, don't definitely don't do a back to back. Oh, that's, that's, I had to, I had to do that technically for, um, the, the first event that I was talking about, there was uh, the night before and the day off. So like, that that was even rougher um but you know so yeah and try to space things out and i do this with uh my my friends a lot and you know i've never really sat down to talk to them about what i'm actually doing one of them uh knows two of them well one of them really knows what the hell i'm doing uh and he's very aware of like all right give him some time he'll be back yeah he'll come back around he'll you know hang out again but he just needs time away um That's just how I am. And so a lot of them don't know that like the reason I disappear for six months to nine months at a time, three months at a time, like, and then come back is because I just can't. I I just, it's not in me to be that type of person. I'm just not it. I'm an introvert. I'm a sage on a mountain. I I like my, my space. I like to be in control of my space. I like to do my thing. Um, Even when I did public speaking, that was a lot to go do a public speaking engagement or to, you know, speak with groups of people. Um, I used to talk about my story and talk about the things, you know, I'd be much better at it nowadays. Uh, hit me up if you want me to do a public speaking event for you, but, uh, there's a contact submission form on the website. Um, but you know, back then it, it took a lot out of me to go do those things. Uh, just cause I would run through it over and over again. of like, did I help someone? Did I say the right thing? Could I say that a different way? And yeah, part of it was applying my trade of being someone who connects with other people and, you know, talked. I used to talk about my, my suicide attempts and my experience there of how I, you know, combated depression and, um, my small bout with, you know, drugs and alcohol a little bit. Not that I, you know, I, I wasn't anyone who really needed to seek like professional help, but I did, I had a problem, you know, I, I drank too much. I, you know, used marijuana as a crutch. I, you know, so That would also take a lot out of me. And then then it would add to it. Uh, And So it was a poor time in my life to have decided to even try to get on the uh, soapbox to do those types of things. But I did it because I like to help people. Honestly, like that's what it all really comes down to. That's what this podcast is really a lot about is I like to try to help people. I like to try to build these connections and have discourse, as I talked about in the last episode. So the fear response can be beneficial. I learned to be afraid of doing these things too many times back to back. I also learned to be afraid of drinking alone at a bar because I knew if I was drinking alone at a bar, I was because I had to drink socially because I couldn't trust myself to drink alone um, in my house because something bad could happen. I learned to be fearful of dying because I learned the connection of the mind, the body, and the spirit where the body's just a bunch of cells and bacteria, trillions of cells and bacteria trying to do one thing, replicate and survive and provide us very thanklessly with a body that we get to go have experiences with. This is what we talk about when we talk about samsara and we talk about um, enlightenment and spiritual understanding of, you know, the body being the vehicle for the spirit or the soul, really the body is the vehicle for the soul, but the the spirit has implanted a consciousness into the body. Um, That's, that's what they're talking about. Is that like, This is a thankless job this body does for me, my consciousness. It's thankless to sit here uh, and be fueled up by coffee and a nootropic to, you know, do this podcast to talk for an hour to two hours at length, just going. Um, That's a thankless job the body does. So to be aware of that function of like, oh, well, I mean, my body's doing everything it can to keep itself healthy and to keep the cells in good state and to be alive and to replicate the cells to generally live. Um, me taking that away from it is a asshole move. Uh, not to say that you know, I'm not trying to call anyone who committed suicide an asshole, but for me personally, like I had to take it to that level of like, dude, you're being a dick. Like you're totally being an asshole to your body. Stop doing that. You know, stop going on the binge drinking bender. Stop, you know, smoking weed every day, all day. Like, Stop doing that. Stop trying to slit your wrist. You know, stop punching yourself in the shoulder just because you want to feel pain. Stop bruising, you know, yourself in places people won't see. Um, Stop cutting, stop, you know doing these things that cause yourself harm. Stop going to a martial arts class just as you want someone to take their anger out on you and hit you and like be the punching bag for them. Stop doing that at a mental level. Then is where I engaged after that. After I I solved the body stuff, I was like, all right, stop doing the shit to the body. Just stop, stop doing that. Then I engaged at the mental level of like, all right, stop letting people berate you. Stop letting your family treat you like shit, even though they don't, they don't see it that way. Stop, stop engaging in family stuff because every time you come away with it, uh, feeling of just shittiness and just dread for the next time and just feeling just bad. Um, something bad always happened, even if they saw it that way or not, like didn't matter. My perspective was this was just bad for me. Stop engaging with people who didn't give a shit about me. Stop letting people walk all over me. You know, stop standing up for myself. That was where I had to start engaging at the mental level. These were all fears that I had to address. They were all unpleasant and often strong emotions caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Sometimes the best thing to do is just not put yourself in danger. Sometimes that's the best response you can have to fear. It's just, and, and that's not always the option. I know that like the world's gray. It's not black and white. It's gray and all different fucking shades of gray. And so, you know, there's no one answer fits everyone. That's, I think the thing people fear the most is that there won't be an answer that there's, there's no options left. That's, that's one of the biggest fears someone can have. It's one of the fears I had, that there was no options left. And one of the things I had to learn was there's options. And sometimes they're really fucking tough. And sometimes you're going to fail. You're going to have to look for another option. But the universe typically, I can't even say typically, the universe provides balance asymmetrically. If you put in the effort, something comes out of it. It's when we stop putting in any effort. That's when it all goes, that's when it all goes away. So when, you know, I bash um, organized religions, I bash them because of dogma. And dogma is the practice of letting the pastor, the priest, the rabbi, the spiritual influencer tell you what you're supposed to be believing or what you're not supposed to fear. That's, that's no effort there's no there's nothing that comes out of that there's no spiritual enlightenment there's no spiritual fulfillment nothing comes out of that not reading the contextual um, or reading the context of the text for your your specific religion that you believe in there's no effort input There's nothing that you'll get out of that. If you don't read the Bible, if you don't read the Torah, if you don't read the Quran, if you don't read the canonical writings of Buddhism, if you don't, not that that's a spiritual practice, but like even on that level, like spiritual, non-spiritual, just philosophical level, although I believe philosophy uh, philosophy becomes very spiritual very quickly. If you don't put the effort in to read those things, you're never going to get anything out of them. Same thing goes for your fears. If you never put any effort into understanding your fears, you're never going to have the options to get out of them or control what happens after the original response. Remember, the fear response is really good. It can save your life, you know? That random tingliness that tells you don't step out just yet. Don't get off the sidewalk just yet. Could save your life from getting hit by a bus or a truck. And those are the extremes. Could also keep you from getting hit in the face with that piece of gum that somebody just threw out their window. Shit like that. Like, remember, I, I, I talked in the very beginning about the teeter totter effect, the roller coaster effect, like keeping it in balance. So, I use oftentimes we use the shock lines of, you know, like, oh, you could die. But there's also like, it's sometimes not so bad that you're not on the roller coaster, right? That the ups aren't so up and the downs aren't so down. That we do pay attention to the fear responses. My fear response tells me to not get myself into too many group engagements at a high frequency or even intensity really to keep it minimalized as much as possible because that just makes for a better me. And so my fear response is not that I'm going to die if I go to a, uh, you know, a a party or or a a soiree of some sort or some sort of celebration. No, no, no. Just that I'm going to have to suffer a little bit for it. And there's going to be some, you know, some suffrage after I'm going to have to deal with some stuff. So to be choosy and to pick the right ones, right? Not just go to the bar for the hell of going to the bar. Like that's that doesn't work that way. I'm gonna I'm there's gonna be problems for that. So instead, picking the celebrations that I, I definitely should go to and I want to go to, and so that I get to enjoy them. I do get to be that extrovert, and there is some part of me that does have some enjoyment there. And that's kind of me balancing out the suffering that's going to come of it. So I might as well enjoy it, right? I might as well commit. I might as well enjoy the situation because if I just mope in the corner, then I'm not only going to mope in the corner, but then I'm also going to have the moping the next day and the suffrage from after that. So I might as well enjoy what I can not go too far, not get fucking annihilated, get drunk or high as fuck. Like no, just very middle of the road, engage with some people, make some connections Maybe make a big ass out of myself for about two minutes to three minutes and then, you know, dumb it all down, but to engage, right? To have discourse, like I was talking about last episode. So you find the balance of the fear and then the fear stops controlling you and you start controlling the fear. And that's really a point where I can't really explain because it's, it's, it's a part of depression. It's uniquely who you are when you are able to control your fears. That control structure brings about a lot of different changes. And so when I harp on, you know, organized religions in that regard, it's kind of what I'm harping on is this control structure of the fear. They want you to be fearful of God or their God. That's war. That is warfare to want you to be fearful of something because you don't understand it. And then also not teach you about it or give you the tools to learn about it. That's a state of war. You are now in a, a mental psychological war. And we're in that state quite often. Um, so at this point of the episode, you can head off if you know, you've know you gotten what you needed to get, which is to understand that you can control fear and that's part of self-awareness and mental health. It's also part of spirituality to understand that that fear state and that fear is good. It is beneficial. We just need to be able to control it, right? So with that idea, right, we can step into what's occurring in the the other side of things the psychological warfare states that we find ourselves in 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 modern society one of those has been happening for quite a long time even in non-modern society where they use things that you didn't understand to control you with the uh, fear of not understanding it i often find that the end of fear is when we start to understand or we start to less be less naive and to be more educated uh, and then we can get ourselves into a deeper fear, but a good deeper fear. And this is the bell curve of uh, uh, beginning to mastery. So like the beginner thinks they know everything. The intermediate thinks they know nothing. The master thinks they they know everything, but they don't act that way. right? So that intermediary situation, the bell curve of like thinking that you know nothing makes you very fearful of all the things like, I don't want to do this wrong. Am I doing this the right way? Those are good fears. Those are awareness fears. Like to go into a situation where you don't know the outcome and to be fearful that you're going to do it incorrectly but then so you don't do anything, not the right response. That's not a balanced response. To go into that situation knowing that there's no physical harm to you that's going to happen, there's no real psychological permanent harm that's going to happen to you, and that it just might be a little uncomfortable or something like that. To then engage and say, like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to do this correctly, so I want to make sure I do it correctly, right? And to be a little bit anxious about that, a little bit fearful about that, keeps us in a balanced state of not going way off the rails and, you know, going to one side, which is, like, cut the blue wire when you're supposed to cut the red wire. Or to go on the other way where it's, like, not even to try to, you know, cut any wires and let the bomb explode. Again, I'm using crazy examples here. But to, like get out the manual, figure out what's going on, and then snip the right wire, but be like panicked the entire time. That's a balanced response, really. That's an asymmetrical balance to, you know, so when I'm in these situations and I'm internally screaming, run away, run away, run away, run away, find a corner, but, You know, but also engaging and talking and being jolly and cheerful and trying to be funny and, and make sure people are having a good time, that's kind of an asymmetrical balanced response. That's what I take it as like, yeah, I gotta be an extrovert for a little while so that I can go back to being my my introverted self. That's a balanced response. But unfortunately, what's happening in society for the most part is people are being forced into engaging into things they don't understand or don't know, and then the people who are telling you that, um, using that to create fear or to breed fear, right? So... In modern society, we have this thing called the news, um, and it's pretty regular all the time, 24-7, 365, in your face. Uh, We have social media. We have Twitter and Facebook, and uh, we have Instagram and and all these other platforms. Um, We have YouTube, and we have uh, Discord, and we have um, Telegram and just all of this stuff, right? And Some's good, some's bad. Everything's got to be balanced, right? A lot of it's out of balance because a lot of it's pressuring people into fear, into anxiety, to get a response out of them. And I did that throughout this this episode for a very distinct reason. I used extreme examples while also talking about balance to get a shock value out of you. Like, oh, no, I need to be fearful of fear. No. What we're seeing is people containing a situation using psychological warfare. Um, And one of the biggest things I've always said is that, you know, you were born into war. What humans do is war. We are a warring species. We invented war in the, this world on this planet and the way in which we fight it and go about it. And we are the best at it. And we're also, we're even at that we are competing and fighting to be the best at it in every way possible. So, in that regard, we get into what's known as the psychological warfare, and that is what I'm doing at some level when I'm being an extrovert, when I'm making people pay attention to me, keeping people aware of me or my awareness so I can keep them where I want them in my centerline regard, in regard to like who's a threat, who's not a threat, who I can control, who's an ally. It's a psychological event. I try to keep myself in check as best I can. My ultimate outcome is the the way I win the war in that sense in the psychological war of, of an extroverted situation is everybody has a great time. We have fun. There's a lot of news outlets and political parties and people and uh government situations and corporate uh leaders and influencers and a bunch of other, you know, uh royal parties and all these things not wanting you to have fun necessarily, wanting you to have their fun. Uh, There's a lot of um, groups and organizations, um, three-letter organizations, both on the health and uh, legal and uh, law side of things and and government agency side of things, using fear as its its fourth definition here on Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. And also it's fourth definition in the verb. So the fourth definition in the noun is reason for alarm. There's danger. Random spree of murders in your um, hometown. That's something to be worried about, right? And to pay attention to. News events that are trying to get you to donate to something have typically another aspect to it. Right or news events trying to get you to vote for a specific political party or to see another political party arrival in a different light, that's psychological warfare. And we don't often pay attention to that because fear is a great, great weapon. Fear is actually one of the best weapons we've ever known about. Um, you can look back at most ancient warfare situations at a, a empire level, and fear was the greatest tool to to manipulate and to instill some sort of control over the populace. Um, Genghis Khan, Genghis' father, that he ran an entire empire on fear. He made everyone so fearful of the Mongol horde that they didn't want to fight them or engage with them. They just wanted to give them what they wanted and make them go away. Even if that was giving away their children and women and, and and females and uh, male workers who were going into slavery to do specific trades and also their gold and wealth and food. Fear is one of the greatest weapons ever. And it continues to be the greatest weapon used in modern warfare, specifically in psychological warfare. It doesn't necessarily need to be executed on the kinetic warfare field of war. In warfare, there are many different battlefields. There are now virtual battlefields. Um, there always was. There was always the simulation of the imagination, which is where war all starts and ends. But. There's the kinetic field of war, which means to be downrange. Downrange is when the kinetic fighting breaks out. Being downrange is, that's where I'm shooting towards. Uh, That has now progressed, and they use that terminology more so in, uh, if you're downrange, you're, you're an enemy. That's what downrange means, you're an enemy. And you'll do any means necessary to defeat the enemy, which can include psychological warfare. Political parties use this to manipulate the masses. Uh, news agencies do this um, self interest groups do this uh, there's five oh one cs that do this the charitable organizations that do this uh, there's you know animal rights PETA is a perfect example. PETA is one of the biggest offenders of using fear to get their way they're just children the The organization of PETA is run by children. They know nothing other than if I make someone fearful, they'll give us money and we can do what we want. That's a, that's a shit way to go about it. You know, even if their message is correct, it's a shit way to go about it. And so, yeah, PETA is great at using fear. The democratic and Republican parties are amazing at using fear. The W E F is amazing at using fear. The CDC is amazing at using fear. You didn't think I'd start listening organizations, did you? Political, um, opponents are great at using fear. Oh, this person did this. You should be scared of what they'll do if they get in office. Does everything have a little bit of yes and no to it? Yeah, it's all balanced in some way, which means probably 50% of the news and the stuff you see on social, it's all bullshit. It's all lies. It's lies to create a fearful reaction so that you'll take action because they want you to be scared because scared things do things. A scared bunny runs, a scared gazelle runs. The scared lion doesn't attack. Works on both the prey and the predator. That's how powerful fear is. It works on both the prey and the predator. I've gotten people way more skilled than me in martial arts to back down because they were scared of me or what I would do. I've gotten situations as a bouncer to defuse themselves because the individual aggressing and the individual defending both became very scared of me and my other bouncers and what we might do to get them to stop. I've gotten people to not aggress by making them fearful of the outcome. Fear works on both the prey and the predator. And the answer is not to make yourself not scared of anything, not to be fearful of anything. No, 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 no. I already talked about that. The answer is to understand the controlled response that happens after. So when the news person gets on the news and says something ridiculous or outlandish that makes you scared of something, let's look towards the definition number four of noun and fear a noun and verb of fear, a Merriam Webster dictionary reason for alarm danger. Yeah, it is the archaic definition of fear for a verb is to feel fear in oneself. Is there danger? And did what they say just make you have fear in yourself or to fear yourself? They have an agenda. If there's reason for alarm, have alarm, prepare, you know, take preparations, check your surroundings, you know, vote accordingly. If you're making, if it's making you fearful of yourself or to have fear in you, like actual fear response in you, making you stay up at night and freak out and want to take absolute action and to like, go kill your neighbors. They're manipulating the shit out of you. That's their agenda. You know, when the CDC says, oh, monkey pox is going to be the, oh, it's going to kill everyone. Vaccinations. Get it right. They want you. To, they have a fucking agenda, okay? It was a non sequitur. They failed at that one. That was a non sequitur. But it, it, the last few years have been great because they finally fucked up. The big organizations, the three letter organizations, the you know political parties, the they all fucked up. They've shown how inaccurate they actually are. The WEF and their whole climate change thing is bullshit. Go listen to Randall Carlson. He'll break it all down for you. I'll put a link in the archive. They have manipulated the data to make climate change seem like it's going to doom and kill us all. Both sides are correct. One's not just correct. There is no way one party is the only right party. One idea is the only right idea. Climate change is not the thing we should be fighting. If we were fighting climate change and carbon CO2 emissions, they'd get off their fucking jets. The president wouldn't be riding through London in a 40-some car motor brigade. We wouldn't be jet-setting across the world. Uh, Greta Thunberg would not be using a jet. She would not be flying to this country and that country to talk to people and then you know, fucking going out for ice cream with 30 cars and people later. No, they wouldn't be doing any of that bullshit. So the question isn't climate. They want you to focus on climate change. And all blah, blah, blah. No, the problem is deforestation. That we've fucking ripped down practically the entire Amazon and all the forests in the world and destroyed the home of the animals and the uh, the bees. That's what's causing climate action. The climate trying to figure out what the fuck to do because the jet stream got all screwed up and now it's got to dump carbon into... Um, Antarctica to create a new ice shelf because that got melted away. Like it typically does because that happens regularly. It ebbs and flows and now it's got to dump more in it because we took out and added more carbon and then, you know, didn't give the carbon cycle anywhere to rebalance itself. We're only unbalancing it by doing all this deforestation and creating carbon emissions. So the answer is balanced to that, not this other bullshit that they're trying to tell about electric car, vehicle, everything. That's unsustainable unless you come up with a new battery pack because lithium mines are killing thousands and ruining, you know, ruining shit a lot. Like the nonsense that's being spouted and people are believing because of the fear trait is at the cusp of collapse. It's, it's gone to, there's no, there's no way it can continue along this lines without some major breaking event where people die and then people realize they were wrong because people died because that seems to be the only thing that gets people to pay attention anymore. And again, that's back on the fear state side. These are, there are events out in the world called false flags. I'm not going to name which one is a false flag because I haven't done enough research to figure out which is which and which isn't, but false flags do exist. The CIA and the FBI were designed. There's entire organizations inside of those structures to produce psychological warfare, which is to create false flags so that people react to them due to the fear of response. Some might even say that the only reason Hitler did what he did was because he was fearful of some prophecy that he heard or some idea that he thought was going to come to fruition. And thus he murdered millions of people because of that. Fear left unchecked is one of the greatest weapons you can ever have. Training a Marine to be fearful... Of another country's populace because they might destroy their American way of life the greatest soldier you can have in the world that marine will kill anyone with not reckless abandon but precision accuracy I shouldn't just use marines it's more like a delta operator that would be a better example I don't say that to belittle our armed forces. They're amazing people and they give everything for us. But typically they do it because of a lie. They do it because that's what they were trained to do and they wanted to defend their country, their, their, their way of life and their families and loved ones. But the reason they're going into war is a lie. You know, Let's look at the track record of the United States of America and all the wars we've gotten into. Typically they were started on lies. And we figure that out now, but we just keep letting it happen. All of these huge major events in the last 30 years, maybe even 50 years, are predicated on a fear response. Fear is the greatest weapon of all time and probably will be well into the future. Getting someone fearful of something will either stop the person from doing something or make the person do something. It works on both the prey and the predator. I don't know about you, but I don't like being either. I don't like being preyed upon by people. Someone did that to me in my life. Many people have done that to me in life in different manners. I'm not okay with it. My response was not to become the predator and then to destroy their lives because of it. Because that makes me same as them. So instead, I learned to control my fear responses. Not to say that I'm amazing at it. I still am fearful of things. I still have, you know, stuff that shuts me down or, or makes me act You know, I just try to keep it balanced. That word is very important when it comes to these responses. It's It's certainly not easy to find the balance in these things. It's certainly not easy to understand what fear is and how fear can be used against you, let alone that you are in a fear response to begin with. But I think it's really important to society now to kind of understand that it's being used as a weapon. And so you need to be aware of it. And, and the way to start that process is to do the self-bettering process of taking care of you and your family and your loved ones and understanding like what a fear response is and how it's a good thing. To be fearful of something that's a good thing. To be aware, to be paying attention, you know, to, you know, go out in the yard, you know, with the kids and like pay attention to the surroundings or, you know, to just be aware of, you know, the situation because there, yeah, there's a little fear there. You know, there are, you know, it's okay to be fearful of a disease. Absolutely okay. And to take precautions thereof, that's totally fine. causing panic and mayhem because of it and destroying the, the economy by printing trillions of fucking dollars out and, and referencing that because we need to be fearful of something that's not okay. Right. So there's a massive difference between protecting the family and loved ones and being aware of like, is there a snake in the yard? Don't let the kids out there. That's an okay fear response. And, you know, it's the cascade afterwards that people push into constantly. That's, that needs to be controlled by yourself for yourself. That's the self-awareness and mental health side of it. So engaging at that level, just with your own traumas and the, the things you do and your interactions and your engagements, that's where you start. And then as that progresses, you can eventually bloom into where a lot of people are unfortunately being getting thrown into now without an understanding of what's actually going on, is to get into the idea that you are in a psychological war and the best weapon in that war is fear. And using that fear in a gravitated method to make people have the reactions that we can predict they're going to happen or have. And thus, um, you know, uh, here's a great example for that is the running of the bulls, right? Go to Spain, running the bulls, um, Mexico, running the bulls. You know, wherever they do the running of the bulls and any, you know, group that were even in um, uh, a matador situation, right? You know, so what they're doing is getting the bull to have a fear response. That's what they're doing. And they're directing that response. So a matador is directing that fear response at the little, you know, red um, drapery piece. And in the running of the bulls, they're getting the, the bull to have a fear response in a specific pattern, in a specific direction towards the crowd, Right. And then the, to control that as much as possible, but it's a directed fear response. That's what all these government organizations, political parties, and, you know, political figures and people of power, Bill Gates, money, you know, wealthy people, um, that's what they're doing. That's also what a grifter does. On the same side of that, a grifter does the same thing. They get you fearful of something to sell you something that doesn't do fucking anything. That's the snake little salesman ideas. Get you fearful of something and then sell you something. Choose who did what here. Um, read between the lines on that one. So we have to be, we, we, people are being thrown into this without even knowing now. And that's, that's not okay. Okay. It's, it was never okay. But like now it's to a point where like everyone's being thrown into it all the time and everybody's at some point going to go, what the fuck do we do? And people are going to start looking for answers. And that's where the measured responses need to come in. And people need to have these kind of conversations of like, okay, I need to learn how to control the fear response, I need to understand fear is not bad. Fear, fear will keep me alive, but I need to control the response after that initial reaction, right? So it's okay to flinch, but then if you lock up, hmm, that might not be the best answer. What is the best, you know, or what's the what's the best answer I can come up with in that moment? Because that's, that's the answer. And then to not dwell on it because you only had a moment, right? So that's why I bring up fear now because we're in a world where it's, it's at the point where just about every day you are engaged with something that is trying to make you fearful of something to get a certain reaction out of you. You need to fear the Republican Party to vote Democrat. You need to fear the Democrat Party to, re- vote, to vote Republican. The reality is you should fear a two-party system because that's just, tyr- that's just tyranny with two heads. That's all that is. That's all two-party system. This is tyranny with two heads. You should fear that. Oh, you need to to fear cryptocurrency because it's going to ruin the financial system. It's going to ruin your way of life. No, you need to fear the Federal Reserve and them printing trillions of fucking dollars and sending inflation through the roof because that's going to destroy your life and your financial uh, backbone. You know, don't pay attention to one thing because you know that's what they're that's the game it's the shell game of like pay attention over here cuz this could kill you tomorrow cuz we're killing you slowly over here and we don't want you to see that you know you got to follow people's actions and stuff like people get called conspiracy theorists a lot of this shit's coming true and a lot of it's a balance though like it's not it's not one side or the other right the the extremes are never right cuz they're extreme So, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are never right. It's the two party members from the Democrat and the Republican Party, each one of them, that come together at the very middle and come up with an idea. The very middle. And find as great a balance. Maybe it's a little asymmetrically Democrat. Maybe it's a little asymmetrically Republican. Maybe it's a little asymmetrically. Maybe it even bounces over into the Libertarian or where you find the balance. That's that's as correct as you're going to get. Because it's balance. So, the extremes they're meaningless they're just they're just a psychological warfare state they're just them trying to get you to be fearful of something so that you do what they want you to do which is to be fearful and then do the the thing that you think or the option they give you to get away from that fear that's you know that's how we train mice that's how we train rats that's how we that's how we train dogs don't go out don't leave the boundary because that fence It's going to electrocute you. As soon as you get to that tree there, you're getting a little shock in your collar. That is a fear response to keep the dog in the yard. What do you think they're doing to you every day by watching the news, going on social media? That's what they're doing to you constantly. The problem with that, though, is it's become so complex because I know, like, Phil, what am I supposed to do? Well, it's become so complex that it's really hard to educate yourself. On all the different topics. That's that's a lot of work. It really is. It's an absolute lot of work. So I get when people are like, you don't got time to like figure out if this is the right thing to do or not the right thing to do. And so now it's become so easy to prey upon people that it might as well be, you know, shooting fish in a bucket or whatever or um, colloquial term you want to, you know, say. Like uh, it, it's become so easy to put push someone into a fear response And to make something happen the way they want it to happen, because there's no way to educate yourself. One, because the information is either 50-50 bullshit or not. And the very small, uh, I should say 40-40 and the very 10% in the middle that's actually accurate is almost impossible to get your hands on. That, or it's controlled by some other narrative that, yeah, it's almost like pointless, right? And, And so the disparity sets in and the fear sets in. And then we get end up in a dystopian situation of there is no right answer, and there cannot be no right answer because someone didn't come up with the right answer. And it's just not true. It's just not true. And so the way we combat that is we start at ourselves. We start at the core, the function of ourselves, the ma, the body, mind, and spirit. Get your heart right. Get your soul right. Put in the work. Take care of yourself. Because by taking care of you, then you can take care of others. Right? That's that's how that works. That's the first thing you learn you know, in, in being a therapeutic um, caretaker or, or, or someone who does therapeutic work for someone or even medics in the, in the military, like you got to take care of, if the medic can't get to the individual, then you both die. That's how warfare works that way. You know, if you want to talk about a medic. You don't worry about the combat. You worry about getting yourself safely to the individual so that you can help the individual. And then safely removing that individual and yourself from the danger or immediate danger. Remember, there's a classification of danger in one being shot at, which is there's immediate threat and other threats. Uh, Doing that as safely as possible and successfully as possible. So that then if someone else does go down, you can engage with them. That's like a wounded soldier on the battlefield is problematic for everybody involved because you got an expo and you also have to. You know, have the medic engage to the individual. So now you have to, and then maybe you have to grab another person because the medic needs help moving that person. So now you're taking three people off the firing line, which are putting down suppressing fire or engaging with the enemy, and so it becomes this rapid effect of the more, the more casualties, the worse. Sometimes you actually want the more wounded. Craning more wounded is. Uh, a, a old form of, of warfare where the more wounded you can create the more resources you need to take care of that wounded and thus the the situation will break down even quicker you know so the British Army didn't always shoot you know that whole situation of the, you know the, the firing lines and stuff like that I imagine someone was smart enough in those lines and I don't really have any stories you know anecdotally to say about it but back then wounding a soldier was just as good as killing them right? But sometimes there's just no honor on the battlefield and there really can't be such a thing as, you know, honor on the battlefield, but by wounding a soldier, you take resources into, you know, now, now not only are they pretty much almost guaranteed to die due to infection or something like that, but you also have to now have them be cared for, carried, moved, cared for, you know, so resources go into that. Um, it's, it's all war in that sense. That's how my mind works. I don't mean to rile people up in that sense. That's just how my mind works. And I kind of tried to explain why it, well, not why, but how it works that way functioningly, even when I'm in a group situation, but it's all driven by this idea of fear and fear again is, is the greatest weapon. It works both on prey and predator. So be mindful of it. And take solace in the idea that, It can be the, the, the state after the initial response can be controlled, but it's also okay to have that initial response. That's my big takeaway here is it's okay to have the anxiety response. It's okay to have the fearful response. That's what keeps us alive. It's the control after that response that we need to be in ourselves. Don't let someone else control your response after the initial response. Because the initial response is nearly uncontrollable for everyone and everyone at all times. So as soon as you're made aware of some random danger, you're in control after that. You don't say, okay, newscaster, I need to go get ready to kill all of the Arabs in the world because they're trying to attack my country. No, not the answer okay, newscaster, I need to go get this medical treatment because everyone's at risk of cancer. And I need to stay in my house and not engage with anyone because everyone's at risk of this or that. Like, no, these people aren't professionals they are getting paid to tell you lies because the people that are writing the shit are getting paid to write the lies by the people who are getting paid to tell the lies who are getting paid by the people who want people to tell the lies to create a fear response. 40% is bullshit. 40% is nothing. 10% is probably correct. And that doesn't even add up, right? adds up to 90%. I don't know if anybody noticed that earlier, but because even in that, the 10% that's correct, there's 5% on either side of that. It's sort of kind of correct this way or sort of kind of correct that way. It's this whole balancing thing, right? It's just So the only way to live in that situation is to be controlling, be in control of yourself. And that's where self-awareness and mental health come into. You got to start there. You got to start with that. And part of that can even be just starting with your physical fitness. And starting with like, I'm not saying you got to get jacked, got to get ripped, got to go do a thousand push push-ups. No, go for a walk, get on the bike a little bit, do some push-ups, do some sit-ups, eat healthy as much as possible. That's one of the most important things you can do nowadays because nobody's getting that shit right. If they get their way, they'd like you to eat crickets, which are full of parasites. And, uh, you know, good luck staying healthy on that. No one's going to regulate that shit. So, you know, like, I think a good place to start is, is if you can't start with the mental stuff so much, start with the physical stuff. You can't start with the physical, start with the mental, start with the spiritual. If you need to pick a starting point, whatever works best for you, and then just start working at it every day. Just a little bit, uh, in Shaolin martial arts, it's, there's this one really important training aspect and it's frequency over intensity. It's better to spend five minutes on yourself every day than it is to spend three hours on the weekend. Just take five minutes every day. Take 10 minutes every day, 15 minutes, build it up, you know, build up intensity, but focus on frequency. So if it's one day a week, that's better than no days a week. And then if it's two days a week, that's better than one day a week. If It's three days a week. That's better than two days. Like, And if you have to start at a monthly scale, one day a month, you take five minutes for yourself, right? If that's all you get and that's what you can do, but you do it and you take it. And then, you know, if it's one fear response that you get control of, awesome. Just focus on getting that one right. Like getting that anxiety under control. Like those are the methods that you can put in place to get back your control because everyone else is trying to take it away at the grand scheme. Because that's how war works and that's how psychological work. And again, I'm going to say it one last time to finish up here. We'll go with the definitions first. Fear, an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Fear, reason for alarm. Fear, to be afraid of. Expect with alarm. That's the verb side. Fear, to feel fear in oneself or of oneself. That's the archaic version. Fear works on both the prey and the predator. Take some time to learn how to control your fear because it's also part of your depression. The unique way in which you see the world that is a tool for your self-awareness. I'll catch you on the next one. Uh, Head over to the archive. Uh, on I'll probably, uh, make sure I think everything's everything I mentioned today is in a link there I got to put a link in for Dr. Remka but I will do that um what else if you would like me to do a speaking engagement you can head over to uh slash contact and send me a contact submission about a speaking engagement if that's something you'd like me to do we can discuss that. Um, uh, uh, check out purebulk.com Use uh, code taming hindrances for a 10% off there. They have great supplements. Uh, check out cliff highs, pure sleep. You can head over to my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash taming hindrances and check out the review I did. If you have any curiosity about that, uh, check out the gen two formula review, um, get yourself some good night's sleep that helps with our fear responses and our anxiety responses just to get a good clean night's sleep what else uh, anxiety responses can actually have a huge effect on our sleep. So that it's, it's another thing to help kind of combat that. If you, if you just say it that way, um, other than that, you know, I think that's good enough for now and I will, uh, I'll catch you on the next one. Take care, control that fear response and, um, just remember to breathe. Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taming for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. But go be awesome, and just remember to breathe.